Welcome. Welcome. Upside down flying rhinoceroses. Upside down flying rhinoceroses. It's the Improbable Research Podcast. I'll repeat that too. It's the Improbable Research Podcast. I'm Mark Abrams, editor of the magazine Annals of Improbable Research. This is all about research that makes people laugh, then think. If you like what you hear today, consider supporting us at our website, improbable.com. Every year, the new Ig Nobel Prize winners give short, informal lectures. They try to explain what they did and why they did it. The Ig Nobel Prizes, you probably know, honor achievements that uh huh, make people laugh, then think. The 2021 Ig Nobel Transportation Prize was awarded to the international team that determined by experiment whether it's safer to transport an airborne rhinoceros upside down. Today, here, you'll hear team members Mark Jago and Pete Morkel tell about the upside down rhino research, which involved helicopters, I should mention also. In non-pandemic times, the informal lectures happen at MIT, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. But in the pandemic year 2021, the lectures were recorded in hush-hush isolation. Pete, hi. Hi, Mark. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So we're going to talk here this evening about rhinos and um, inverted rhino translocation. So going back a bit, the aim of the exercise was to try and move rhinos from a core area in a very remote part of Namibia to an even more remote area. And the terrain and the situation was such that we really were going to struggle by vehicles. So we looked at another way which we could move them easily, quickly and safely and came up with the idea of moving them under a helicopter. Yeah, I mean, what what we decided was probably the best thing is just to turn them upside down and pick them up by their feet. And, um, you know, being vets and, and thinking back to our training and our experience, it, it made sense. You know, the legs can take a lot. I mean, usually, of course, they're standing on their legs or running on their legs rather than being hung by their legs. But the legs are tough. Um yeah, we've got that experience of having to pull uh, calves out where you have a, a, a tough carving, a dystopia, and a few start folk pulling on the front legs of a calf, pull it out, and inevitably, you know, within a few minutes, the calf stands up and, and off it goes. So, you know, the, the legs of animals can take in a remarkable amount of, of you know, of, of um, the force being applied without without problems. And, and um uh, but obviously, obviously, we felt that it was, uh, you know, good to try and do a bit of science. I mean, it sounded like it should work. So in the end, we, we went to our mates in, at Cornell. And we started a few years earlier. And we ended up looking at positional physiology. And we came up with this contraption here, where we were looking at expired gases, particularly CO2. And we were studying um, CO2 and um, oxygenation of the animal in various positions. But if I remember correctly, we then sort of jumped ahead and we actually went ahead and did the translocation. This is when we actually moved, I think, 16 uh, rhinos from the northwest of the country, even further north and wester. And we came up with a couple of techniques at that stage. This was the, the sled, which we, we, we looked at as one option. 
Uh, just talk us through that one, Pete. Well, it's just a mini sledge. So you can see it's just got a, a steel frame. It's got an aluminium um, platform. Um, it, it's just enough for the body and, and the head. It doesn't, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't support the legs. Um, and basically, we felt some animals, particularly um, older animals, animals heavily pregnant, animals in poor condition, should it be necessary to move them, this would give the animal more support. This would be maybe a safer option. I'm very pleased we did this. It, it, it worked well. It's a good option. In the end, it probably wasn't necessary, but it's lovely to have this option. It worked well. Uh, that uh, mini sledge can be uh, broken down and easily fits in the back of the helicopter. Um, so it was. It's, it's a good one. Perhaps at this stage, I should bring in the fact that we did have tremendous assistance from a number of folk. If I remember correctly, the, the, the B2 gold mine were actually, um, they were the ones who helped make the sled. Quite a clever piece of construction. And then when we actually got to turning the rhinos upside down and seeing them under the helicopter, of course, we did use a big old Huey helicopter from the old Vietnam days, expensive piece of kit. And we had the American Millennium Challenge Fund that kindly supported us um, significantly. But of course, it was the, the Ministry of Environment and Tourism that picked up the big tab and they covered all the staff and all the, the basic equipment. But we did then sling these rhinos. Um, here's one of the rhinos. That was the sort of typical position we picked it up in. You can see there the, the head cover, which was important. Important to get a nice tight-fitting head cover. That was a mutton cloth. Um, so they didn't see, and at the same time, their ears are plugged, so they can't hear. And they held in that position pretty well. Those, they were lifting ropes, if I remember, lifting well, slings. Endless round or, um, yep, and, and uh, polyester slings. Uh, nice and soft and, and relatively comfortable for the legs. Um, and for that period of time, didn't seem to do any, any, any harm to the legs. It must have been a bit of, a bit of uh, restriction or blood flow. But from what we could, we could, we could, we could um, see, no, no serious damage by using the, the polyester in endless round slings. And there we are. There we are with a beautiful picture of the old Huey carrying the, the rhino at the end of about a 60-foot um, drop of rope with a steel end uh, flying across the, the, the Dumara plains. And really quite a sight. I mean, quite an impressive, impressive picture. It was always interesting with the landing. Um, the, the aim was to, to get the guys with the, with the mattress underneath the rhino. So the chopper came in at a hover. And um, it was a bit of a guessing game, but usually we got it just about right. And then there we are with one rhino coming down onto a mattress. As you can imagine, I mean, you know, although we were comfortable lifting the animals by their, by their feet, um, a rhino is not made to uh, be resting on its spine or coming down on its spine. So we felt, we felt strongly about, particularly in this sort of stony, hard terrain, about having a nice soft landing for the animal. And uh, so we'd dash around with the mattress, slip it in under there and under the spine. And, uh, yep, it worked well. And I, I felt good about it. It was the right thing to do. I'm, I'm sure the rhino would have been okay if we hadn't done it, but it definitely was the right thing to do. And here we see the sort of video. There's the chopper taking off. Um, it has to move up vertically. And uh, it's then got, I think the rhino, I think we're sort of going up to about 800 kilos or a ton of rhino and uh, picking it up pretty gently. Um, if I, yeah, what we were actually doing was we were actually knocking them down in the field, picking them up and then moving them for a short distance, 15 to 20 minutes, across to a road where we loaded them into a crate and then we moved them for 100, 150 kilometers by crate before we then knocked them down again and then took them from there into the release site. So it was a sort of double 
helicopter sling with a road trip in between. There you can see the rhino going up into the inverted position. It worked well, Pete. It worked very well. Yep, so we had two, you know, very inaccessible areas to recover and to release. Um, and the distance between them was just too far to do them the whole way with the helicopter. Besides, we didn't have that sort of money. Um, so it worked well, you know, get them out um, where we could have them close to a road, drive them, and then fly them up into the hills and, and do the release. And it worked extremely well. I was I was chuffed. And, and you know, it, 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 the animals were only, what was it, all together, probably from capture to release, probably about six, seven hours. Um, Something like that. Yep. yep. And, and uh, these were not stressed animals. They... They, they settled in well. They generally stayed in the area, uh, found the water. Um, yep, it, it worked very well. And that's the one rhino in his new home. I have to say there was a certain leap of faith in us, us doing it. Um, a few eye, eyeballs almost popped out when we started picking them up by their feet. But after we did one or two, um, yeah, everyone was very much on board. And then, like all good science, having done the job, we then went back and tried to figure out what we'd done. So this is actually a video clip of us now doing the research. This is on top of the Waterberg Plateau Park. Here we immobilized 24 rhino, two, two groups, one in the lateral, one in the uh, inverted position. This was the team that was there. There's the good doctor, Robin Gleed, putting on the, the CO2 collection system. Um, it was pretty hot at that time. We had quite a lot of folk there. Yep, no, 100%. And, and yeah, we had a good, a great team, perfect place to do it, good animals. Um, yep, and, and uh, it all came together very nicely. What was interesting, we were measuring CO2 um, and, and, and the oxygenation, the, the, the SPO2, and we found in the end that, in fact, the preferred position marginally was the inverted position. The CO2 was lower, the oxygenation was somewhat higher. So, a bit surprisingly, we found inverted was even better than, than the lateral, although both were compromised. Yeah, for, from, certainly from a respiratory physiological point of view, um, it, it was a better position. I think there were other reasons why we'd be uncomfortable to have them too long, you know, hanging by their feet. But, but the, the, the respiration, the blood gases were good. And, and I think that was, that was the main thing. And it was basically because of, of the work um, that we did that we, we, we we've, in the end, we feel that that's going to become a standard technique and we can use it in the future. I understand it's also being used for, for elephants and other species. 100%. Yep, yep. It's certainly revolutionized rhino translocation, black and white rhino translocation. I wouldn't be surprised if it's not, not going to be used for um, the Asian rhino, um, I suspect for hippo. Um, and besides, definitely some of the other species like the ruminants, but also probably most important of all, it's absolutely revolutionized elephant translocation. This is now the technique to, to pick them up, stick them on the back of a vehicle and, and translocate elephants. Occasionally, elephants have been actually flown a reasonable distance, but generally it's just using a crane to lift them up and stick them on the back of a vehicle. So, yeah, it's turned out, it's turned out to be good. But I think the, the important thing is, is taking an idea being, you know, just, just progressing intelligently, checking it out uh, with animals which were, which were less valuable than black rhino, and, and then going back and doing some good, um, you know, getting some scientists in and really seeing that it, it really was, um, you know, a, a sound technique uh, and, and the physiology made sense. 
And we have a lot of people to thank, a lot of people involved, uh, a lot of hard work. Um, Pete, thanks very much indeed for chatting. Thank you. Cheers. You've been listening, if you've been listening, to a genuine episode of the Improbable Research Podcast. Today, 2021 Ig Nobel Transportation Prize winners Mark Jago and Pete Morkel told how and why they and their team filled the skies with wonder and rhinoceroses and helicopters. You can see video of this lecture, including video of some of what they did, on our website, improbable.com. I invite you to subscribe to our magazine, The Annals of Improbable Research. Six new issues a year. Get yourself some back issues, too. Also get lots of details about the Ig Nobel Prizes, upcoming events, what's in the magazine, and about how you can help and be part of it via our Patreon. All this, and yes, a lot, lot, lot more at our website, improbable.com. It's possible that Seth Glicksman... Yes, Seth Glicksman is the improbable production assistant. Next time on this podcast, we'll look at something uh, or other. Until then... Goodbye. 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 <laughs>